0: You are now listening to The Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, and we get into the journey of their life, not just talking about their newest, brightest, shiny thing, although we will talk about that too. In today's episode, I'm super excited to talk to Austin Cleon. His book, Steal Like an Artist, 10 Things Nobody Told You About Being Creative, just came out with a 10-year anniversary gift edition, which is like this beautiful hardcover with a ribbon that you can bookmark spots. It's an awesome book, not just for artists, uh, I think for humans (laughs) and approaching life in general. I loved getting to talk to him. Uh, It's a little bit shorter conversation than usual because he was on a press tour, Uh, but I love what we got to talk about. I think there's so many great things that um, he said. And so go check out the book. It makes a great gift. And uh, here we go. Oh, 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 don't forget. (laughs) If you haven't already to please follow. That's the new subscribe the podcast. And if you haven't, please leave a review. It doesn't have to be like too deep. Just say what you want to say. Why are you tuning in? Why do you listen? And um, if you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com and I will send you a gift from my product line as a thank you because reviews really help. They help authors, they help Uh, podcast hosts. They help all sorts of people. You know, they help products be sold. People like to hear why other people are listening. Um, So you matter. You listening matter. What you have to say matters. So I would love to see a review from you. All right, let's get to the episode. Okay, so Steal Like an Artist is being re-released. 10-year anniversary, is that right?
1: That's right. Ten years.
0: So awesome.
1: <laughs> Thank you. The
0: book is so awesome and inspiring for people of all, I was going to say walks of life, all creativities, all, it's not just for artists, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's curious, like, who reads the books. I mean, I've heard from the usual suspects, like painters, dancers, filmmakers, musicians, but I've also heard from, like, army captains and wow, that, yeah, creatures, that. you know. Preachers are my favorite because preachers, when you think about it, nobody has to develop more stuff than preacher. Like, they have a show every week that they have to do. Totally.
0: And they're trying to keep (laughs) their congregation engaged.
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So So there's actually a big – lots of preachers like Steel Like an Artist because there's a rich tradition in – in 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 that work of of stealing like an artist of taking little bits and pieces of things putting your own spin on it and then you know serving it up to your people
0: right that is so funny cuz i wouldn't have thought <laughs> that but yeah it does yeah. like the perfect thing cuz they are you know like here is whether it's whatever religion here's the bible or this and it's like you all know what i'm here to say basically
1: but yeah <laughs> It's the same message it has been for thousands of years, but here we are, like, you know, and here's the show. So yeah, it's a great example. And I love it. I always, uh, you know, because there is a sort of like, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, when you have a message that you're trying to, you, you know, I, I get that. I get what that's like to be on stage and try to, you know, uh, uh, convince people or, or get them around to an idea that I want to put across. So, I always connect with that crew pretty Love well. That.
0: Well, so, I want to, you know, so, what inspired you to write this book? Were you someone who, like, did you grow up? Wanting to be an an artist as an artist, were you more of a writer? Like, what I I like talking to people like starting with like high school and even you know those years of like what do you want to be when you grow up?
1: Yeah, I think it's earlier for me. It's like you know some of my earliest memories are like copying Garfield cartoons and crayon on my on butcher paper on my grandma's kitchen floor. You know, I think I'm someone who. You know, I'm a, I've always been interested in a lot of different art forms. So it's like, I love to write, I love to draw, I love to play music. Um, and so a lot of my, a lot of the struggle when I was younger was actually keeping all those things in play. I mean, I felt this real, you know, this sort of pressure from adults to choose something. You know, if not the arts, <laughs> but to choose at least one of the arts, you know. And I always right, wanted to keep focus. a lot. Of, you got okay.
0: Well, yeah. what are you going to do? You can't do yeah. everything. You can't do all.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so there's a there's a there's a point in still like an artist where I say don't throw any of yourself away. And this is something that I learned very early on in life is that you have to keep your passions in your life somehow. So, like, if you you know, if you feel if you're going to be an economist but you also love the theater and you love cooking. You, you can't say, I'm not going to do one of those things. Like you have to figure out a way to keep those things in your life. And eventually a career might not emerge, but a life will, you know? And so that was a big, big, uh, a struggle of mine growing up was like, how am I going to keep these pl- things in play? And so, you know, when you go to school, pictures and words are separated. You know, all of a sudden you've got art class and you've got English class. And then when you go to college, it's like, well, you're going to be an English major or an art major. So a lot of my struggle, I actually went to an interdisciplinary studies uh, program uh, in in Ohio at Miami University. And so the whole point of that program was actually how you can bring, you know, two disparate fields together and make your own thing. And that's been really uh, sort of influential in my whole career because that's sort of what I do. I take ideas from lots of different creative fields and I kind of mash them up together and try to get one, you know, unified principle out of it.
0: That's amazing. Um, so, you were able to find yeah. a program that, which, and I I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, by the way. So oh, yeah. <laughs> like that's so right I, down I mean, the yeah. road. Yeah. 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 But that you were able to find some sort of program where like you felt you could do more than one thing. You that you
1: could, Yeah. And I think the interdisciplinary studies now, you know, when I, because I went to school in like the aughts, but- it wasn't now the idea of interdisciplinary work is very popular, like that's you hear about that a lot in school, and there's we're we're coming around to the idea that you know keeping the discipline separate is not a great idea that it's a very artificial thing to have a discipline to chunk up life into like different fields and stuff like that, so I feel like that kind of cross pollination it's it's very much more the the general mode of being now. Which is why I think that some of my message you know resonates so much is that people have been primed for it, you know so so after college, you know I studied writing and I took some art classes in college and then what happened after college is I found the web you know i'm a I'm a elder millennial, so I remember life before the internet, but I you know grew up in high school and in college with the internet, and it just became clear to me that that was the medium the cheapest, easiest, most powerful medium to sort of invent yourself as a creative person. And so really like 2005, I had a website before then, but around 2005, I really started blogging uh, a lot and trying to kind of join that world of art, writing and literature and music and all that stuff. And it's really on my blog that most of my career started. That's where I started gaining readers and things. And my first book newspaper blackout, which is a weird poetry collection made of, I I take a Sharpie marker and I black out most of the words in a newspaper article and I just leave a few behind. It sort of looks like if the CIA did haiku, (laughs) basically. Um, That was my first book. And then out of that book, so, you know, the blog became, you know, a lot of the work on the blog came that first book. And then when that first book was out, I was asked to give a lot of talks to various groups and companies and students and stuff like that. And one of the gigs that I got from that was I was asked to give a, a a speech to, um, some college students and, you know, I'm 27. I'm not that much older than the kids that I'm speaking to. And, uh, I went for a walk with my wife and I was like, I don't know what to say to these people. And she said, well, the best talk I ever heard when I was a student was a lady just got up and said, here's a list of 10 things I wish I had known when I was a student. I said, that's great. I'll do that. I'll steal that, you know? And so, I just wrote this talk called How to Steal Like an Artist, which was just a list of 10 things I wish I had heard when I was 19, basically. Um, And that was really, that talk was really the the genesis of the book steal like an artist that that was the bones of of that book
0: and were those 10 things that you like okay what are these 10 things i want to know to say for these talk did those 10 end up staying for what became in the book or did some of them you know like did you as it became yeah. i guess uh more like i guess did the talk go really well It did. And then it was like, oh, okay, I want to do this more. Or did you get booked more? Like, was it something that then kept being asked for? Or you yourself were just like, yeah, I want to share about this more. Like, let me fine tune it. Yeah.
1: So the trick was I gave the talk, but I'm, you know, I'm half digital native. So I'm like, well, if it's not on the internet, it doesn't exist. You know, no one recorded the talk. So it was like. I was kinda like, you know, this is so good and I want to do something. This could be something else. Well, and you're you know? a blogger. It, you're
0: always looking for content. like, oh, what's exactly, my next blog? I'm like, exactly. I had a blog
1: back in the day. Right. <laughs> what am I gonna so share today? Like, it was like daily. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, just dump the text and the slides in the blog post and 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 call it how to steal like an artist. And and I I was right. You know, we put it online and and it went viral. Uh like nothing had ever happened before and and i started hearing from editors and it became clear that that was the next book you know um but what was really funny about the talk is i i mean half of it was blog posts i had written you know ideas that i'd been kicking around for almost 10 years before i gave the talk you know and so um yeah it was just uh i i have a process i work very much the same way now where i use the web as my sort of first draft testing things out for my audience, seeing how they connect with it. And then I start like, I use my pattern recognition skills to see what I'm actually interested in and what's hitting for people and what their response is. And then, you know, a tweet will become a blog post that becomes a book chapter that becomes a book, you know. And and it's actually a very old fashioned way of working. If you study some of the like, Older writers that I'm really inspired by, like someone like Henry David Thoreau, who would, you know, he'd write in his journal, which is like, you know, like a blog or something, you know, he'd write in his journal and then he'd have to give a talk and he'd go back to his journal and be like, well, what's good in here that I could talk about? Then he'd write a talk and then that talk later on might become a part of a book, you know, and so it's a very old way of working. And that's sort of the joke of Steel Like an Artist is that there's not that much that's totally original in it. I mean, it's really a mashup of, of not only work that I borrowed from other people and ideas I borrowed from other people, but it's also a mashup of my previous work, you know? And so it's, it's a very meta book. It was, it was very much constructed by the method that I suggest to people that they use in the book, you know? So it's kind of this loopy, it's a loopy book that way and that it kind of turns back in on itself.
0: I love that. I want to step back. So when you said you had your first book, that was like this newspaper blackout. And like, yeah, when you got out of college, did you get a job somewhere or were you like, all right, I'm going to be a creator, you know, person thing? And like, how did you even get that first book deal? Because that's huge. I mean, it's huge to get, a you know, a book, period.
1: That's a great question. I mean, the same way the other books happened is it's like I was just putting work online and people saw it and they were like, an uh, editor reached out to me at Harper Perennial um, and said, "Have you thought about doing a book?" And I was like, "Hell yeah, I've thought about bo- doing a book." You know, you just jump on that when it comes. But I mean, you know, I when I started out, I had. I had a very good teacher in college who taught a publishing marketplace class. And I always joked with him. He taught it to senior creative writing students. And I always joked to him, you know, if you did this for freshmen, there wouldn't be any creative writing majors. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> they'd <it>, want to quit. <laughs> it, was, it was very, very eye-opening in that it was very much about the realities of the publishing industry. You know, I can remember my teacher, his name is Stephen Bauer, uh, and he said, "You know, the majority of you will not make a living from your writing, and you just have to decide how much do you want to write, because the only guaranteed reward from writing is writing." And a lot of my heroes at the time, you know, they're like poets or weirdo artists, and they had to have day jobs in the in the early days. Um, and so I just kind of approached uh, my career from that standpoint. I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna find." decent day jobs that I can just show up and learn something and then go home and work on my stuff. So, like my first job was right out of college, so lucky. Got such a great job right out of college. It was a 20 hour a week reference desk job at the public library in a in a suburb of Cleveland. And the great thing about Cleveland is that you can afford to live there. Uh as you know, Ohio poor and bread. Um And so, you know, I had this part-time job working the reference desk, and then I spent the rest of my time writing and blogging and stuff. And the great thing that that job taught me was that books do something for someone. That sounds really kind of dumb, but a lot of creative writing students, they don't think about the reader. You know, they they just want to be a writer or they want to be the great writer or the person on stage or whatever. And... You have to be at a certain point, you have to be very real with yourself that a book is supposed to do something for somebody, whether it's, uh, you know, um, wow, the reader with poetic language or, you know, interest them with a plot or, you know, in self-help, give them a plan for their own life. You know, a book is supposed to get the reader to do something or to experience something, to feel something. And so that's the main thing I learned because I was looking at what people were checking out of the library. You know, it was books that helped or books that entertained. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, that's real, that was really good experience. The other thing that happened working in a library is I learned what it was like to take someone who needed something and to put them in touch with the information that they needed. So, it was like, that was really good training um, as a librarian. And then my second job after that, I became a web designer because I taught uh, computers as part of my job as a librarian. And I realized how bad most websites were. So I wanted to learn how to make a website and how to make better websites. So um, I got a job as a web designer. I did that for three and a half years. And that was great training because I was able to use everything that I learned as a web designer uh, in my own work and to make my website cool and accessible and all that stuff.
0: And was that was that you like freelance like doing it on your own, or did you work for a company?
1: It was a great state job down here in Austin. I worked for the University of Texas oh, um, awesome. here in Austin, so it was like a really good. So
0: you like had steady pay,
1: Salaried, <laughs> like, low salary, but, but, still, but like
0: yeah, not like. Where's my next customer coming from?
1: Benefits. Clock in at nine o'clock. Clock out at five o'clock. Job. Write your poems on the bus on the way home. So that that actually, I put out my first book while I had that job, and then after that. I decided when I was making websites, I realized, well, you know, you can design a great website. But if no one updates it or puts really good content in there, this is when the word content was still kind of new. (laughs) You know, it wasn't beaten to death. You know, I wanted to be on that side of things. I wanted to affect what went into the website. So I actually got into copywriting, uh, digital copywriting here um, in Austin for a marketing company. I was only a copywriter for about a year or two. But that was really great training because I learned how to sell things with words and very few words. And I learned about call to action. And I learned, you know, more ways to grow an audience and, you know, just basic marketing stuff that most artists and writers don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole, you know, because they're the great artists. You know, I oh, I don't want to muddy my waters with this swill, you know. So um, that was the job I had that I quit to go on book tour. For Steel Like an Artist 10 years ago. And that, and I've never had a real job since. I've been doing this. <laughs> I mean, I have a job, but it's not, uh, I've been working for myself ever since. And uh, so that's kind of the story. Once Steel Like an Artist comes out, you know, my audience has gotten big enough and it sold well enough that people wanted another book and then another book. And that's where we are now.
0: Psst, Trisha here. Please tell me did you go and order my book yet? Go to F the, shoulds, do the And it'll give you links to order it from all your favorite booksellers, even your local independent store you can find uh, through the bookshop link, I think. And, um, and then go back to that page and claim your bonuses. I have been getting so many lovely messages from the five part video series that you get immediate access to. Um, you know, somebody wrote and said they've gotten more done this morning than they do in most months. that's such good advice. Can't wait to get the book. People have written to me to say like, wow, um, watching those videos has helped me so much already. I can't imagine what the book will do. Thank you all for pre-doing the book, for checking out the videos. Again, if you haven't yet get the bonuses, get the book. You're also going to get a ticket, a free ticket to the live virtual book release party and workshop that will happen on May 17th, a week after the book comes out. So you can even like read part of the book, read all the book and ask questions for me. There's going to be a guided, grounded meditation from my friend Robin Euclid. I'm going to lead an Unshud Yourself workshop. And my friend Jason Mraz, who wrote the foreword, is going to come on for a conversation and a couple songs. So go order the book. There's also a tapping meditation coming soon from Jessica Ortner. Again, exclusive only for pre-ordering the book. F the shoulds do the once.com. Trust me, you have no idea how much the shoulds are running your life and messing with you, stealing your joy, questioning your worth, leaving you in comparison and just making you feel like shit every day. I really can't wait to get this book into your hands and for you to start seeing yourself, your life differently. All right. F the shoulds do the once.com. I'm so glad I asked you about that. And I think that, well, and also something you said earlier stuck with me was, you know, like to do things that bring you, I don't know, you know, like keep space in your life for these things that you enjoy. I forget what you were saying, but you said the phrase, like, you might not have a career, but you'll have a life. And I love that so much because I think we put so much focus on, like, what does success look like? In like, okay, I'm going to quit my, I can't work for someone else and I need to quit my job to have my passion and stuff. And sometimes that ends up being worse. Like, okay, I love to bake cookies. So I'm going to start a cookie baking company. And for some people that's amazing and they thrive. And for some people like, yeah, keep your job that may not be like the most fulfilling thing in the world, but like, yeah, it's good. And you don't drain all your energy sources and you can do things that bring you joy outside of work and that there's nothing wrong with that. That, <laughs>
1: uh, Not only is there nothing wrong with that, th- there's tremendous benefits to it. I mean, when you have a decent day job that doesn't suck you dry too much, that you can stand, that you can find, you know, you have some sort of purpose to, or you can tolerate it frees you up in your creative life because you can make whatever you want to make and you could do whatever work you want to do. There's no, you know, there's the minute you start making money from something and it becomes your breadwinning, it changes the enterprise, you know, because you have to all of a sudden, you know, when like for me now, you know, books feed the family. And all of a sudden it's like, well, you have to take into other, you know, you start taking into, you try not to too much but you do take commercial considerations into concern in a way that you wouldn't if you were had a day job and you were like i'm going to put this book out on a small press and it's a labor of love and i just want it out in the world you know that kind of thing and so i think there's beauty in both kinds of life and but i think you know you have to find i've always felt that the most important thing for creative work is to have some sort of daily practice some sort of way that you go and you do your work every day, no matter what you do your little bit of time, just like you were taking, like, just like if you do pushups or, or exercise or, or anything really that requires the accumulation of days effort, you know, um, If you have a daily practice and you show up every day and you do little bits of work, I think that those little bits over time turn into something big, especially if you stick with it. I think that's the hardest thing for people is to really stick with their daily practice and be with it for as long as it takes.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I know in the book you say like, you know, right, if you wrote a page a day then you would have, like, it 365 days, you have 365 pages. I love that because one of the mantras, like, I live by, and I have it on, like, I have a product line, so it's on a mug and a magnet, which is any minutes is more than no minutes. Baby steps are steps. Any progress is more than no progress because so often we don't do things because we think it's going to be so hard and it's going to take so long. So we never do it because we just leave it off until this vast someday that you're like someday going to have like three months and you're going to not focus on anything about that thing. But you're not because then you're going to be distracted. (laughs) But it's like, yeah, do a little, any five minutes worth of whatever towards that thing.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, so I just took up biking. I just bought a bike like three weeks ago. And I'm just obsessed with it. Like most people who ride bikes, like you just, it's something that just eats your brain. It's all you think about it. And you just get really excited about it. And, but I i was thinking about it and you know, the gap between me, who's a beginning rider and a Tour de France rider is just enormous. But the bigger gap in some ways is the person who doesn't have a bicycle and me, because you, you know what I mean? It's really the minute you take that leap, and you buy a bike and you start riding it two or three times a week, all of a sudden you're a biker, you, you know? And I, so I'm always looking for things outside of my creative work that can speak to me um, creatively. And I think that's a great example is, is the the big leap is not from doing something poorly and doing something really well it's doing nothing and just it's doing starting
0: right like yeah, like, yeah. totally and that's,
1: then that's the you do yeah. the
0: thing you start writing and you're like oh my gosh i'm writing this feels yeah. amazing even if it's a shitty first draft just shitty yeah. whatever that you'll never exactly look at again
1: like yeah the feeling. i mean you know, And this is something I have to learn over and over in my career. It's because I'll be like, "Ah, I don't want to work on a book, you know. But if you just open up your Word document or you open up your notebook and just do something, it's better than just sitting around and thinking about doing it, you know. I mean, if you think about all the books you could have written while you were thinking about what you should write about, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's crushing, but you know, it's, it's always the, the old mantra, all the old advice is, is old for a reason. It's like, start where you are, you know, it's always about where you are and where you can move forward. And there's a reason that old advice sticks around It's because it's tested and it's time-worn. And I think that's something about steel like an artist. There's not a lot that's totally original in it. You know, it's really a collection of, of, of stuff that's been around for a while. And even the idea that nothing is completely original is an idea that's, you know, at least 4,000 years old, going back to the Egyptians. So, so um, it's, it's humbling, you know. But, but to know that you're just one little link in a big chain that goes on and on, backwards and forwards, you know, and your job is to just be the link.
0: Yeah. Another thing I love uh, in the book, which this might be, you know, as you said, nothing is original, um, but the productive procrastination, that was something that felt like, oh, I love this and I don't know if I had heard it before. Maybe I have, but um, because I do that and I feel like there's so much shame around procrastinating and I've even made like reels on like, yeah, this is me procrastinating right now because I know I'm not in the space to do that thing. I know that this thing needs to be done by this time. But, like, I will, like, I do that. Like, I will, like, jump to do something else, whatever, when I always get things done. But we often, I think, beat ourselves up for the way that we do things or the way that we operate, you know? Like, I sometimes work great as a last-minute person. Like, I'll jump in, be focused, and do it. But where it's like, oh, you shouldn't do it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this is something that's very important when you're reading books about, like, other creative people or self-help books or whatever it to make sure that what's being said resonates with your own experience is something that you can use because I feel like, you know, that's why it's so important. All of my books have YMMV in the back of them. Your mileage may vary. (laughs) Like I I want people to feel empowered to take what you like and cut out the rest, you know? Um, But The procrastination thing is really funny because procrastination seems like a modern problem. You know, it's like, oh, this is the problem of distracted internet people or people with desk jobs that can click on little, you know. But then you're reading like Emerson's journals. And, you know, in the middle of the 1800s, he's saying, boy, nothing gets me to do something like something else being due, you know, he's like, if I have a talk that's due uh, on this day, then I know I'll write a really great essay on something else because I'll have that other thing I'm supposed to do. And it'll be much more fun to work on this other thing. So, you know, it's like this ancient thing. And I think it's just a way of like, okay, if you know that you procrastinate, just, you know, find something worthwhile to procrastinate on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whether it's washing the dishes or cleaning your apartment or whatever it is you know or taking taking out the trash or or writing something else you know just just having something i think having something else to goof off on you know uh, that can get you somewhere you want to go that's that's the important thing so that's why i always like to have a couple of projects going on at one time just I love having projects that I can pick up at any time. Like the blackout poems are one of those projects. I haven't made one in a couple of weeks, but I know that I know how to do that. And if I bought them out with my other work, I can just make a blackout poem. You know, Having those kind of ongoing projects where you can pick them back up and start again at any point, I think that's really helpful too. In a creative career,
0: I mean, I—that stuff that's tough, it's helpful for me to having multiple projects or things to jump around because a lot of times too, when I take the pressure off of you're supposed to be doing this thing, and I go this other thing, then all of a sudden something changes, like in my, you know, chemistry, and all of a sudden I'm like Luther, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh. Now I know how I was gonna approach that, or like you know, it's like from taking the pressure off. So it is to me. I'm like I had never heard the concept productive procrastination. I was like, oh yeah, that's what I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, bingo. And I, I think that's one of that's something I learned from the musician Brian Eno. He said naming something is the same thing as inventing it. If you take something in the world that already exists, but you just give it a good name, all of a sudden it's like you've invented it. And I do think that's something about writing that's really interesting is that a lot of people come up to me, and I think other authors would take this as a, as a slight, but they say, you know, you just put into words what I was already thinking. And that's actually what the writer does, because by putting into words what you're thinking, there's probably someone else that thinks this too, that just didn't get it out, or was, didn't have the courage to say it, or just didn't feel empowered to say it. And I think that's part of the writer's project, is to say the unsaid things that are kind of circling around. And the same way that, you know, like artists, you read enough interviews, they say, oh, yeah, I stole that from so-and-so and and such and such. But, you know, did anyone ever write a book that was about stealing intentionally? Oh, well, that was my work. You know what I mean? So, it's that kind of thing. It's a service, I think, is how I think of writing. you're, you're, You're serving the reader somehow, saying what they'd like to say or giving them something new to think about or something interesting or helpful, yeah. You know?
0: I love that. And yeah, something, touching back to something else you said where I, so I have my first book coming out in a couple months. Thanks. It's called F the shoulds do the once all about how so often we are like, oh, I should do it this way, blah, blah, blah. And shaming ourselves for not doing it the right way. And you know, in putting myself out there and buy my book, it can feel like, oh no, I keep talking about my book. And I have to keep reminding myself, it's not about me. I wrote this book and I am saying, you want this book, but it's reminding myself that who did I Why did I write this book for people to feel th- something, to see things differently, to change their life? So that when you are creating something, it, I see so many people hold themselves back from sharing it because they don't want to be, oh, look at me. But it's like, no, reminding, like, if, yeah, an artist, a musician, whatever, then you might be inspiring people to feel something, to think differently, to do things. So to put yourself out there.
1: Yeah. It's not self-promotion. It's book promotion. You know, you're promoting the ideas. You're promoting what they can do for people. You're not just promoting yourself, you know. It's promoting the work. And I think that's a big difference. But I think the act of share, I've always told people if you can kind of put promotion to the side, just Put that word out of your mind and just think about it as sharing, because sharing is an act of generosity. And in, in that, you're like, I have this thing that I think you could use, or that I think you would really love, and I'm sharing it with you. And whether it has a buy now button below it or not, you, you know, you're if you think about sharing and instead of promotion, it always goes better.
0: Love you that. Know, so Thank if, you so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: If you just think about <laughs> so genuinely cool. sharing. Yeah. So maybe that's a great wrap for you.
0: Yeah. and well, the <laughs> last thing forward. I wanted to ask you was just, what is the th- one thing that you most have to remind yourself of, you know, in these, like the tip of, from, from the steel, like an artist or the one I you struggle you, with?
1: Yeah. The one I struggle with the most is don't wait until you know who you are to get started. Um, you, you know, you, you'll, you will figure out what the thing is in the course of doing it. You'll figure out who you are in the course of doing your work. And that's what's important is to just start. And I have to relearn that over and over and over again.
0: Which is so, and it's like, that's the human experience, but it is like, you have to, but you've already, you know, have success with the writing about the thing. So that, it's just so funny. And I'm glad I asked, and that's what you said, to remind us as humans. Yep.
1: We're going to have to constantly
0: overcome these same things. And that's why
1: (laughs) it's good for people to say it
0: in their own voices.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Life is cyclical. It's not a straight line. And you come back to these points over and over and over. And the teacher teaches what they need to know. And the writer writes what they need to read. So that's the way it goes.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For more from Austin, you can go to austincleon.com. And he's at Austin. Uh, Cleon on social media. Um, of course, I'm trishahuffman.com, yourjoyologist.com. My main social is at underscore Trisha Huffman. The podcast is at Podcast. I've got at yourjoyologist2 for my products and my app. Thank you so much for listening. I love hearing from you. I love seeing you all share the episode. Make sure to tag me. Um, Again, you matter. Your voice matters. Your sharing matters. You have an audience, even if you don't think you do. Like you telling your friends that you listen to this podcast or you like this book actually really supports all artists and creatives. So don't, you know, don't act like, oh, I'm not important enough to make a difference you do make a difference. And I'm so grateful to you for listening. Um, you know, uh, we mentioned about how he says, write a page a day in my any minutes is more than no minutes mantra, which is now available on a mug in my shop, com. So how about you? What is there something that you've been wanting to do? You've been putting off? Is there something that you can start to commit to doing Even five minutes a day of, or like writing one page. I'm gonna make one drawing. You know, if you are a songwriter, write one song a day or one, you know, what do they call it? What verse a day? I don't know. So, what can you commit to? You know, moving your body, taking a five minute walk, eating one green thing a day. What is some small thing that you could do to move yourself forward and to actually be showing up for yourself instead of saying someday? Or I want to do this, but I don't know how, or it's too hard, or it'll take too long. That's what I would love to leave off with you thinking about. And of course, go pre-order my book, com.